Welcome, Welcome to Launch Left Podcast, a space for fame creatives to launch the next wave of music rebels and an intentional space to highlight and empower all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but, but a necessity. necessity. Thank you, Summer. I just grabbed a piece of hair out of my mouth. Is that... That was part of yeah, the intro. That was part of the intro. Yay. Don't forget to follow us on socials at Launch Left and subscribe and rate the show. Today, uh, we have a very special guest, but before we get to introducing her, you're probably seeing her right now because the way the camera is set, yeah. and we're also sitting yeah. on couches, which is very Launch Left to suddenly change it up and not have a table. Today, das ist true. to follow with our um, left of center leaning, we have our first ever nonprofit sponsor. Schools, not prisons, through Revolve Impact. And uh, I'm going to read you a little bit about this sponsor. We're so excited to have them because it absolutely aligns with with what we talk about, artists uh, using their activism for social change, artists using their activism to help other artists. So listen here about Schools Not Prisons is the leading brand at the intersection of art, culture, and activism. Since 2016, Schools Not Prisons has reached millions of people and connected hundreds of artists with grassroots youth-serving organizations across the United States. Schools Not Prisons supports campaigns that are creating a new vision of safety centered on health, healing, and investing in people. Schools Not Prisons is produced and managed by Revolve Impact, an award-winning creative agency and content studio that utilizes radical imagination, art, and culture to communicate ideas, connect brands with causes, and advance social change. For more information, visit schoolsnotprisons.us. Hashtag schools, not prison. That's right. Thank you, Summer. Another way to find it. Let's get right into the uh, incredible guest we have today. (laughs) Actress, comedian, performer, singer. singer, Songwriter. With the cutest one-year-old... Italian Chihuahua, I'm going to call it. <laughs> Lucia. Lucia. Lucia Caterina. Margaret Cho. Yes, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Margaret Thank Cho. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. And you're really doing well with her. She loves you. She's really into you. Summer's a dog whisperer for sure. Yeah, she really is. She has two little dogs herself. Oh, yeah. They, you know what they like. Yeah. Because she's into it. Also, she's Italian. So, yes, she's you know, very... Mangiare, cacazzo. Grazie mille. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. All those things. Yeah. Roma. Yes. Look, she marked, right? lot, she marked you. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Well, I have been doing um, comedy. Well, I've been doing comedy for a long time. So this year, this we just started. I am on the road um, doing comedy. Well, you know, now it seems like there's an urgency to it. I think we're mm-hmm. a country on the verge of war. Oh, actually, we probably already are at war. Uh, and also at war with ourselves, you know. So it's a time to really kind of look to comedians comedians always kind of solve problems i think for society and and we're uh we're good at kind of figuring out like what's happening so i think that's what i'm trying to do is try to make sense of it maybe through jokes maybe through like talking to people but you know it's it's definitely a big thing yeah what do you think that is about comedians that makes them solutionary based do you think it's because you are spending a lot of time thinking Yes, and I think what it is is that uh, humor is a coping mechanism, and so when you laugh at something, it's a kind of overcoming, whether it's mm-hmm. a small thing, a small frailty that you're laughing over, mm-hmm. but when you can laugh at something, then you have resolved it to some extent. So I think that, especially in politics, we've been using comedy as a way to heal ourselves ever since 9-11, actually. 
So it was sort of like this whole thing that like John Stewart was doing, and then most comedians kind of go there for uh, trying to figure it out, trying to work it out, and um, and that's what I think is really important now. Absolutely. How did you find such bravery as a young Asian American woman to come out in this um, career when you did so long ago? Yeah. And, and really, the first that I remember. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, well, I think because I had nothing to lose because there was like, you know, when you're really unrepresented or you don't really feel any sort of thing of like, oh, I can be that it doesn't matter what you do. Like I kind of was like, I felt so invisible that it does like what would make me more invisible is like, I don't, I didn't really have any, there were no stakes. So I could just go and perform. And I was really satisfied just doing open mic nights in comedy clubs in San Francisco. And what happened was my career started to pick up very quickly and I got a lot of work and people helped me like, um, uh, Rosie O'Donnell helped me a lot. Jerry Seinfeld helped me a lot. So there were different people who were, definitely like a part of my journey that were really instrumental in helping me get like television and stuff like that. But I, I was always very uh, into the art form of it. So I just, it was its own reward. That's so cool. And when did you find, I know that you, you sing. Yes. Is that right? And you yeah. perform. And at what point did you kind of like start exploring music? Well, I was a child singer. I was in a band when I was five years old. It was like a singing group. <laughs> and we would perform on television shows that were in San Francisco called Asia Now. And it was all these like Asian American kids. And I got fired because I kept waving at my mom during our performances. So I was asked to leave the group. And then, um, but ever since then, you know, I started as a pianist, uh, very young, and then I moved over to the guitar. And I uh, don't really play either very well, but I think that it's really, I think I'm supposed to be a singer, That that's sort of why. But I, um, I find that when I play music and sing at the same time, it, both the quality of the sound for both the instrument and myself go down. I don't know. Do you ever have that? Yes. It's really I do. Crazy. I'm a perfect example of that as well. I, I'm I'm so I'm a better singer than yeah. a player. Yeah. 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 Like if you if you play, then I just play. Like if you can play, I'll just play. Or if I sing, I just sing. I try not to do both. I mean, there was things that I was trying to put on myself that were too much. Like I had the symbols between my knees to do the one man band thing. Whoa. With the uh, accordion and all that. It's yeah. asking too much yeah. of, it is. to multitask. But there are some pretty cool kits that you can get if you're like a busker on the street where you can um, do like a foot pedal drum you kit. Explored this. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I thought, okay, well, if I can just do everything. Also, I always get frustrated with having a band because then it's not just you kind of running around. You have to bring somebody in. As a yeah. comedian, you're so used to touring on your own that yep. it's hard to think about other people. So I, I just uh, kind of thought, oh, well, I'm going to have all these bells and whistles and, you know, um, but then I would go see Fiona Apple perform and uh, oftentimes she would just not even be accompanied she would just be singing a cappella, and it sounded so great so it gave me a lot of faith that you don't even need any instrumentation that your voice can be the only instrument also you know when you can afford a band and have them come it's it's worth it does the quality of your vocals rise to the level of fiona apple when you're not having to concentrate on a guitar or piano? <laughs> i don't think so because um her voice is so singular and important especially in just the way that uh we, we kind of look at even indie rock and indie rock women and women's voices. She just had such a major, major um, 
card in that. Her and Alanis Morissette, I think, really, and Lauren Hill, you know, really built sort of the way that we look at alternative music and, and women's voices. Yeah. So I, I do think that it's like, you know, I, I, the thing about my voice is that it's technically beautiful, but it's not um, unusual. It's not soulful. You have no soul in your voice. Is that <laughs> no. what you're trying to say? It's like that Father John Misty song, Why Don't You Move to the Delta? Like that kind of thing of like, you can't really have soul unless it's it's really in your heart, you know? And, and I don't know if I have soul in my heart. I think I do in comedy, but in music, I don't know if I've suffered enough. You know, you really do have to have the suffering impact your voice in a way that um, I haven't because I, I think like as a singer... I sort of like uh, implemented my comedy with my singing. So it was already part of my um, kind of like comedy routine. It wasn't like somebody that sang like like Edith Piaf, like all of the heartache and sadness that went into her um, journey and creating that voice. So I think that singers need hardship. Your song, your songwriter, though, too, and you were referencing Alanis Morissette, Fiona Apple, Lauren mm-hmm. Hill, and a lot of what they brought us in in shaping that sound for alternative music and women in alternative music starting in the 90s right mm-hmm. and that sound of that time was their lyricism and their yes. lyrics and as yes. a songwriter do mm-hmm. you um do you feel like your heartache and your troubles and find their way into your songwriting yeah and I think I'm a better songwriter than um when anything else that I do musically so I do think that like it's good it's good technically it's it suffers only because of lack of uh, suffering and lack of real-time experience um and but, so I mean you're but I think too it seems like comedy was your first avenue with yes. which to share your suffering absolutely right yeah. and that that's where like you you created the groove the most right. habit to to talk about your suffering yes. so it became like music became a little bit of a secondary outlet yeah. and so yeah. like you said maybe not all concentrated also I was interesting uh, interested in your opinion on you know how there are so many comedians who also play music Fred mm-hmm. Armisen Adam Sandler a couple yeah, that come to mind yeah. and and obviously actors love to also sing if they can oh yeah yeah and just anyone in entertainment loves that you know what that is. do you think that everyone wants to be a rock star no matter what you do or, or do you think that it's just that we all like if you're in entertainment of some kind you're if you're creative in one way you tend to be creative in many different ways yeah and I think that it's like your creativity needs expression and and I really love like the old school kind of like movie stars where they would go to Las Vegas and have a review where they would do comedy and music and they would have like or like a 70s variety show where you would have all these different people you know come on and you're you know whether it was the Glenn Campbell hour or um, Goldie Hawn's like specials like or even Sonny and Cher which was you know very very like perfect to me that's like a perfect show and even further back in the past than that you you were not going to get a deal with a studio unless you could dance sing yeah and act yeah wow. so i love a multifaceted entertainer in that kind of mold yeah. and so i think that's what is part of that and i think that actually it, a lot of it started with your brother because of the like i always think oh i wish i could have been there for like the set of my own private audio because then they're like 
you know, spending the night like together and playing music yeah. all night yeah. and then going to set. And everybody was getting in on it, whether it was Keanu or like Gus, they were still like playing music. You know, that was actually, you could sense that in the movie that there was this camaraderie that yeah. really is like a band. It's yeah. community, right? True. Based around that. It's such a beautiful True. You thing. just yeah. reminded me that that even went down because I was yeah. there for some of the shooting. Yeah. And I remember that only because you mentioned it because my memory right. is like, yeah, she, she, she just, likes to disassociate or doesn't like to, but it just happens. Yeah, it just naturally happens. Just, but it was such a time in, in history where we didn't have social media and we didn't, yeah. we sort of only caught glimpses of these things where people would mention it in interviews or press junkets. And uh, I remember that Gus Van Sant was talking a lot about that in the press junket leading up to the release of My Own Private Idaho. And, you know, picturing that, you know, it, it's like you have to just imagine it. You can't, you can't look in their feed. It's great. I mean, it's great to think about, you know, yeah. like, wow, this is a like, really cool thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, how have you found, you just said that, you know, as a comedian, having a band is like, ugh, because you're used, because you're used to being like a compact unit, just you and yourself as a comedian going on, right? Mm -hmm. So how, how does that translate into your personal life and does it? And also like any question that I ask, you can just be like, ugh, gross. No, I don't want to answer that or stupid question <laughs> no, or whatever. Like don't answer what you don't want to answer. And no, it's good. I, I really love to uh, work with musicians because, and, and I have like, like the, the good fortune of being in a couple of bands that are like one of the bands that I joined, it's called the Red Room Orchestra. And so we do like soundtrack songs. So we do like uh, the soundtrack of David Lynch and, or th this next one that we'll do is uh, P.T. Anderson. So we're going to do like the Boogie Nights music, like um, cool. Spill the Wine and, and uh, Brand New Key and all these like songs are, you know, Wes Anderson sometimes. And it's all chock full of like amazing people who you know play in orchestras so that the the musicianship is so outstanding that it's it's quite you know intimidating but it's really fun too but it's something that is like definitely like i only do it about two or three times a year and um, for me it's a really special weekend because it you know you get to hang out with all of these great people and musicians are just i think that you know, there there's a kind of thing. They're usually from a cold climate because so, everybody that plays really, really well had to be in Said a lot. So <laughs> nobody's from like the Bahamas or Florida and, and well, they can sing really well right. if they're because of the uh, there's so much moisture in the air. Yeah. So everybody has a different. Everybody from a different part of the world has a different thing to offer. Right. You know, to the song or whatever it is. But I find that people who live in cold areas or where it's really hot really play well because they have to be inside a lot. Well, let me know if you ever need a backup singer. That sounds so awesome. I would love that. That would be really fun. It's really fun. And it's really, I mean, for me, it's such a, uh, it, it's such a great release from like comedy or, you know, if I'm touring with like a band on my own, I've done a lot of touring with other bands. Like I used to tour with the Dresden Dolls and I used to tour with Cindy Lauper. I mean, I'm right here. Every I know. time you turn around, I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> I love it. No, I, so I get to tell you about all these, like, but I think that what's really fun was when I used to have a menstrual period. I don't anymore. But we Congratulations! Would <laughs> Yay! Yay! We would terrorize all of the male members of our bands with our uh, dirty tampons. Okay. So Whoa. we would hang them in their bunks Okay. And uh, yeah. that's, you know, yeah. it's great. It's really fun. Danita spoke a little bit about that from L7 oh, when yeah, she was yeah. on. 
She was very famous from pulling out a tampon while she was playing. Exactly. Didn't miss a note and threw it out in the crowd. That's the best thing. Miss Sparks, yeah. <laughs> that is the best. We just got to see her play recently. She just has so much energy. I Amazing. Love, I love They're so great. her. And uh, yeah, I love, Courtney Love is a, a friend of mine too. And I love that like these women are just such, like, they out rock star the men yeah. in a lot of ways. They're yeah. just even more wild and do you and think it's amazing. that like nothing to lose yeah. mentality possibly that yeah uh, you know to that gets you there initially yeah and it comes from that sort of that seattle thing that uh riot girl thing mm-hmm. it's that real like third wave feminism that is so like blunt and harsh and i i love it do you think that uh culturally within the artist community and, and the community at large, our, our larger community, that we all should um, behave as if we have nothing to lose? Yeah, I think that's the best way. I think that's the best way to approach it. I mean, because we really don't. And we have um, the amplification now with social media where we can be heard. And, mm-hmm. and so the messages are not lost like they were before. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is a good time. Yeah. I know that you're a very um, devoted activism uh, in politics and just, you know, everything that you, you've always been an activist. Like like Summer said, you were one of the first that I remember taking notice of at a young age and going like, wow, that's a way to model, you know, behavior about changing things. So um, is there something that you're really passionate about right now that is on your like, on your plate or that you're working on or are you just always in it in every facet? I think facet? it's everything. But, you know, we always have to look to um, race, gender, sexuality, these places where we feel like it's okay to discriminate against people, that it's okay to not have equality, that there, it's always like just working towards equality. And I think that it's important to always talk about that that it's a constant conversation and it's a constant like thing i think that for asian americans too like our involvement in entertainment is very politicized it's really important because we just haven't had a presence ever mm-hmm. so and now we're starting to mm-hmm. and and that's really important to talk about so there's a lot of things that are always there i used to get very specific in my activism whether it was going to um Free the West Memphis Three, which was like a huge project throughout the 90s and the early 2000s. And, you know, they, they're, them getting off of death row, them getting out and finally like actually being free. The, these kinds of different things are like more, um, they're, they're more like these projects that you get involved in. And then uh, whether it is something like um, talking about sex work, talking about dignity for sex workers, talking about the importance of decriminalizing sex work and making it okay for for people to do this you know and and also changing the language so there's so many things like that that we need to deal with and discuss so uh, from what i can gather you're saying kind of that uh part of your act is activism is about talking about yeah different issues and making it part of the daily conversation Mm -hmm. in in society and um my question to you is do you ever get tired yeah. Oh, yeah. You get very fatigued and, you know, but there's things that are energizing. Like I remember last year I did this fun thing that was um, it's called the Golden Probes. And it was an award <laughs> show made by women to honor men and their sexism. <laughs> and 
so you get the oh Harvey Weinstein Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh my God. There was like a Matt Lauer Visionary Award. There was all of these like really funny things. Stormy Daniels came and gave an, a special award. Oh my award. gosh, that's so, so funny. So it was really like, to me, it's energizing when you can really laugh about stuff. And, um, you know, I think that with the Me Too movement, it's really, it's really amazing because actually finally men are accountable in a way that they've never been. And so that's so fun because they're really scared. They should be afraid. Yeah. I love it. Let's hear a little <laughs> bit more about that, how you see that happening and how it moves you and excites you and energizes I you. I get really excited because in the 90s, is it was so okay for men to do whatever they wanted. And, and now, you know, we have a place to talk about what happened. And, you know, it's so central to like the 90s film industry about like how we sort of thought we were past sexism, we were past like the casting couch, but it was the thick of it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the, the shift that we have nowadays and even having like this thing where you can, you know, talk about sexual harassment at Cannes or wherever, you know, that that's amazing that yeah. we have the, the safety thing. Um, you know, and we've never had that. And so this is like a new era going forward where we're not going to we're not going to see as much of that. I feel like it's still going to exist to some extent somewhere. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely changed. Mm -hmm. And talking uh, and talking about it is is part of the change. Right. Being yeah. able to talk about it and have that move from a place of having nothing to lose, because before mm -hmm. there it was a uh, talk about cancel culture you you know if you were a woman speaking out about harassment you were canceled mm -hmm. right? right right i mean because it was like this thing of you have to be um complicit mm -hmm. with all of this abuse and if you step out of line then you, you're you're not welcome yeah you're out of the here. club right <laughs> so it's like it's yeah. not like that anymore you know the the cancel culture i think cancel culture in a lot of ways can be good because it now we police language and we police people and the way that they talk and um, that that can be very in, influential in looking at society. You know, like we can look differently at otherness if we could talk differently about otherness. So cancel culture can help for sure. But um, when it doesn't work for us, when it's something that like let's keep the silence and and protect our abusers, then it's then it's disastrous. Yeah. I think, too, it can help create new grooves and new ways to talk um, culturally quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if you suddenly have these, like, very strict guidelines mm -hmm. that, you know, mm -hmm. you get canceled for, you know, it does start to create new rivulets of this is how you express yourself. Right. That's sure. acceptable. It's like boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's creating, setting you know, the boundaries. Yeah. And, but, I, you know, I always feel like things go way extreme whenever something important needs to come out mm -hmm. and there's like a smackdown and mm -hmm. then like the needle comes back to like you know middle way ideally that's right. the dream right because I do feel too that like you know sometimes the punishments seem extra harsh for mm -hmm. lesser behaviors you know mm -hmm. or less and and not harsh enough for really heinous one right. it's like well who's calling what's I know is it money and corporate yeah, interest well, that makes racism and yeah. you know yeah. elitism around money and I mean that's where those things come into play when you're talking about punitive measures right I mean how many times have we seen like you know people in jail for 16 years for having a joint right. and people in jail for five years for raping three people right, right. that's a class issue that's like class right. race it's um it's really about who has the money 
to spin it, mm-hmm, to spin mm-hmm, the story. Mm-hmm, right. And I mean, the more money you have, the more ease you have in spinning that story to your benefit. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, I mean, it is still class-based, it's still race-based, That's, it's still like a lot, yeah. but at, at least we're, I think, more informed about it. Like, I feel like society at large is like way more cynical about stuff, so that's helpful, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Moment of silence for a while, that was a really good run. <laughs> I can start with another really, probably the most yeah, important question of, of the hour. Please. Um, uh, do you have any tattoos that you regret? Um, no, you know what, though? I, I have ones that were so painful that I can't finish them, like behind my knees. Oh, God. Like the bend yeah, of my knees, thing? the inside oh, of my knees. I wouldn't even it's think about so it. It's so painful that I can't finish it. And I really like the tattoos also, but I can't finish it. Um, anything on my legs, for some reason, tattooing on my legs is really painful to me. The rest of my body doesn't really suffer as much. Um, although there's some things on my back that I need to finish, but my... Um, Tattoo artist who I really love that d- does the my back work is in um, Kentucky, and uh, so I haven't been out to see him. So I would have now, never thought have that was the gone, state. Know, <laughs> have you gotten any tattoos since menopause, and has that affected the pain situation? Oh gosh, um, no. I ha- you know what's interesting is yeah, I haven't yeah. gotten any tattoos. That's my theory. Menopause. That's my theory. Maybe that would help. Yeah. Um, I'm serious. I'm so I'm super sensitive when I'm on my period. Everything mm-hmm, right. hurts more. That's true. And I often huh. wondered, like, huh, is my pain threat? threshold gonna rise when I'm no longer menstruating. Never thought that's, of that. That's smart to think about. I think that menopause in general is a gateway drug in that <laughs> you are certainly thinking about the world in a different way, yeah. which I think is really meaningful. But in terms of like sensitivity, I feel like that's definitely, that that really is a smart thing because I, I hadn't even thought about that. So I should try it as I haven't had- Get those knees tatted I gotta up. do get it your, now. Get yourself to Kentucky, girl. Uh, perfect. I wouldn't even want to like pinch back there. It hurts. It I really hurts. I imagine. And it swells up in a weird way. It's like a very strange area to get tattooed. But what about like caressing? What about like soft touch in those areas? Is it like a- That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is that, uh, you know, everywhere that I've been tattooed now is so healed over that it's just like skin now. So I guess maybe like when after you get tattooed, it's, there's a few weeks of it just being kind of like yucky, but then it's all right. How much of it has been about, um, you know, marking uh, milestones or memories or whatever? And how much has been about the pure artistry of either the tattoo artist and or your um, I don't know who does your designs, whether you have something or... Not really. I mean, it's kind of like a compilation of uh, memories and fun things. You know, I'm friends with a lot of artists and then I was hanging a- around with a lot of artists and, you know, I didn't really have a lot of thoughts of like what I wanted. I just wanted whatever they did. And and so there was not a lot of like consultation. There's not a lot of planning. Mm-hmm. We just like go and do it. And um, so for me, it was just fun. And now the tattoos I have sort of memorialized those occasions of hanging out at the tattoo studio yeah. and, and being around my friends. So that's kind of more like tattooing as opposed to like having this idea for design or you know, having a memorial tattoo. Um, my best friend died in January of last year, and I kept thinking like, oh, I should get her ashes and put them in ink and make a memorial tattoo for her, wow. which I haven't done yet. But that's something that I thought, Such oh, idea. that would be cool, you know. Um, so I still have like I kind of I still have like this thing of like wanting to um, have some sort of communion with her ashes, whether it's um, snorting them, which I think might sure. 
might not work. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe it would. <laughs> but tattoo ink seems like the most practical thing. <laughs> a friend of mine wants to be cremated and have his loved ones like make a soup and have a bowl of soup. Delicious. Somehow, I, mean, <laughs> I think I know who that is, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure not going to say We're not going to name him by name. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's a huge loss. Your best friend. Yeah, for a, 40 a year. years. Oh, so it's very... So uh, sorry. Thank you. But it's it's been a year without her. It's just very strange. Um, she was actually uh, in my other band, which um, we would do all this homeless outreach in San Francisco. Um, you know, what are the sort of specific kinds of like activism things and so she was just really special but um yeah it's weird when uh somebody that close you know of course you know the feeling of that like the loss of like what do we do and then they, they still there's still a place for them in your life you know it, they, they still exist there it's just not in bodily form right exactly of course yes yeah i imagine you've had your share of loss mm-hmm thing we talk about do on the show sometimes when yeah. it comes up and yeah and uh do you find that um exactly like you said they're still there they're just not in corporal form right you know that you sp- still commune with them or that they are part of your work and mm-hmm. your creative like you, you know it's a way for you to express some yes. of that grief is through your art and yeah and yeah. that's really important too you know and that's what they would have wanted is right. to um kind of be present in your mind and your heart in what you're doing and so you know it's like keeping that going is is really important mm-hmm Acting, can we pivot to asking you what you, I know that you yes. spent some time making movies and what's up for you or what have you been doing? Um, well, I have been doing a lot of different kinds of acting work, which is really interesting. Like I just did um, a Law and Order, which SV, SVU, it's yeah. not SUV. I know, I know, it's SVU. very confusing. Special Victims Unit. Yeah, they were so great. I had a really good time on oh, that. And cool. then um, I, I went from there to... They're on like their 13th season or something. They're like 21st. Oh, Isn't that crazy? God, it's the longest like year. running... That's 21 years. Yeah, it's it? the longest running television show. And it's really amazing. And That's I love... Mariska Hargitay. Mariska, yeah. She's an old, old friend. Powerhouse. So she's awesome. And so we had a great time doing that. And then I went to a movie called... Um, Play It As It Lies, which is Eliza Schlesinger's um, project, which she stars in. She wrote it. She stars in it. And so um, it, that was most of my uh, November, December, doing those two jobs. And so now I'm just kind of like going back to doing comedy. Oh, cool. What about, you've talked about San Francisco a lot. Is that where you're from? I am from San Francisco. I grew up there. And I had a place there until about 2016. Um, I was living in this uh, place called The Convent, which was a very strange um, artist commune. But everybody there was like 25 years younger than me, (laughs) and they would stay up until 10 in the morning. I can't. I can't. An artist? (laughs) Okay, sounds so cool. It is, yeah. It is really cool. It was really cool. You each had like a room, or you had... Yeah, we each had a room, and we each had... I mean, we each... We had a shared bathroom on each um, floor, which is like three floors, and then we would have um, shared kitchen and shared like laundry facilities. But um, and the drug dealer was on the first floor, mm-hmm. so yeah, easy I left access, easy access. Uh, I, I left because I stopped doing drugs, and also I I couldn't sleep so because everybody. So 2016 is when you when you stopped doing drugs, then. right? Right. But um, I love the idea of living in an artist commune. I certainly think it's got a place in my life but not at present mm-hmm. right so maybe uh if i do I, I might 
there seems to be a natural land bridge between LA and Berlin. So maybe that there I would go and like have an artist commune life at some point. Uh-huh. There's a, a land bridge between those two. I really yeah, want to go to like, Berlin. Um, just like San Diego and Phoenix. <laughs> you know how there's always people that live both in San Diego and really? Phoenix? Really? I didn't know They that. go back and forth. It's really weird. The same thing with LA and Berlin. Everybody that you knew huh. from LA at some point goes to Berlin and by- vice versa. Are there nonstop flights? Um, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Definitely. And also, there's also Summer, just a lot of people. Summer, we should go to Berlin, do LA. some launch lefts remote. Berlin, here we come. That'd be great. Berlin. We know a few people who live there. I have never, I mean, I've been through there on Rio tour, and Abby, but I've never spent time. Our, mm. our nephew and his girlfriend love Berlin. That is like their, really. you know, and she speaks German. That's yeah. great. Um, so speaking of which, though, one more second about San Francisco mm-hmm. is that, so that if you are from there and you grew up there, that is where your family still is and, or no, not. Uh, no, and, now they have moved to San Diego where um, they but they don't actually do the commute to Phoenix but they live that's how I found out about the natural land bridge between San Diego and Phoenix but they they live there and who are they do you have siblings uh, I have one brother he actually lives in LA do you like him and he's great his name is Han awesome he is also an actor and does lots of different stuff but he um yeah he's great and oh my so, god his name is Han Cho yeah that's awesome. I know. It was so cool in the 70s. Because oh, he was yeah. Han, like Han Solo. Oh, my God. But, well, um, and, and head honcho. Head honcho. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So he's great. And uh, my parents are in San Diego. How did you get Margaret and he got Han? Well, I have a Korean name. My Korean name is Moran. So I found that quite a difficult name to grow up with. And I changed it when I had a, I wanted a showbiz name. And then my parents, like every Asian American woman has an old lady name. Because like they just want. <laughs> To, to like give the, you an old lady white name like Margaret, or I have a lot of friends who are named Helen. <laughs> Our grandma's name was Margaret. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very uh, it's a respectable old lady uh, waspish name. Oh well, Can we're hyped up hyper Hungarian Russian Jew. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's a it's definitely like a, a kind of a 1940s name, not even a 50s name. So wait a 40s. Second. So your parents gave you that? Uh, yes. They christened you that. After uh, Moran, but we had a long discussion over what the name was going to be okay. because they they were like insistent that it had to be like an old lady name. And you never went to Maggie from that, or right? it's always only been... um, only Kathy Griffin calls me Maggie, but she does only call me Maggie. She doesn't call you Mar- <laughs> Margaret. No, huh. she's the only one though. I I've never actually ever. It never the Maggie thing never caught on. Every I like once in a while, three okay. syllables into the Margaret. one syllable. Yeah, Margaret Cho. Yeah, it's got a good. It's good. Yeah, it's got a ring to it. Your parents. So that was a family decision. It was a family decision. Oh, interesting. But it kind of worked out. And is uh, Han yeah, older or younger out. than you? Han is five years younger. Oh, oh just like same. you. Mm. Summer's five years younger. Mm. It's a very. It's almost like then. Then you sort of become in a different class of like. High school, yeah. Uh, you're you're just out mm-hmm. on the other stage. Look at us going like, yeah, like we know. No, but I know that school. because of my kids <laughs> are three and a half years apart. But they like when my eldest son graduates high school and goes away to college, it will be the first year of high school for my younger son. So right. they'll never be in the, in the same, same. It's like exactly. It's just a little bit. It's like See? like a one. So thing I down. could relate. Rain one step down. Um, what else? What you got? What do you want to talk about? Like, um, um, uh, well, I have a podcast. 
Duh. Uh, and I was which, a guest which, on uh, Rain was on. That was Which fun. is great, which was really fun that I do out of my house, which is really... Um, so chill. It's super chill, and but we have great guests. Um, so I, I do enjoy that. Like, I like... Uh, you know what I like talking on the phone? And that's what podcasting reminds me of. <laughs> it's true. It's like 12-year-old yeah. yourself. Calling yeah. people. Yeah. And um, so... Have you watched Pen15? I like that. Oh, my God. I love that show. I mean, it's just I the best show. I love yeah. that But that show. first, the pilot, where mm, they're just yeah. like on the... I mean, they're always it's on the so phone. Great. But like, I just was like, oh, God. So it's nostalgic. It's so real. And so, I mean, I do need a landline some point. At some point. I, I do. Oh, you do? Do you have a fax machine? <laughs> I love a fax. I love getting they like a fax. Ah! You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've stored faxes before the and paper. they go, it's like, mm -hmm. it's invisible ink. It, it, yeah, it eats itself. Yeah. But there's something about it that I really love. Remember when we thought the fax yes. machine was the such a miraculous. It was so futuristic. How do we get it sent right to yeah. us? Now it's, it's like, so crazy. email. But at the time, it was epic. Epic. I, I just watched um, Desperately Seeking Susan a couple of days ago at movie. And all of it is about misconnections and like how you had to describe yeah. somebody you couldn't send them a photo mm -hmm. and so it's all about how like madonna and rosanna arquette are mis miscommunicating and you could never make the movie in modern times because people would know who was who. although there's a lot of miscommunication and and yeah. you know still yeah, I, even yeah. in this yeah, in this right. world of hyper you know hyper everything hyper being known communication we do et not know everything we know nothing is our tagline, really. Right. Rain and I feel like we, we know nothing. We're here to learn. Mm -hmm. That's why we're not so well-versed on our guests. We're like here no, to understand who you are from your point of view. That's that's the best way. Yeah, That is yes. the best way. Conversation and um, colonics. You know what I want to do? Yes, finally! I want to do um, a thing where we do like couples colonics. Uh-huh, yep. And Very pop. That's going to be very, oh, Wouldn't sure. that be great? Like couple... I used to have a colonic uh, guy who did my clean. He was so attractive that it was really mm. bothersome mm. to uh, yeah, get. Like, I don't is that why you don't see him any longer? No, or? I don't see him anymore because I was like, this is weird because he's so cute. And it's like, you know, and he would always comment on what's coming out because I always yeah. like store a lot of stuff in my gut. And so there's always like old, like really small like pennies in there and rocks like I just or like gum gum there's always weird stuff in my colon that it <laughs> always it's just stuff that I don't know how it got in there but it's still there and the um you know the the, the process of doing that with him was just kind of a much he also would do this thing where he would like feel around my teeth and then more stuff would come out of my colon. Like it was like craniosacral therapy oh, where he would like actually. move his thumbs around my gums and then I would get a huge blast of something coming out. Um, I think she might for looking for a place to. Hey, is she your first pet, or is she a is she a replace? She is. Um. Uh. Well, my other white Chihuahua died at fifteen uh, about two years ago, so now she is the only. Well, she's the only dog, but uh, she's a very good girl. I mean, those ears. I know she's very baby Yoda. Believable. Well, epically grateful for your time. Thank you. And for joining us today and for having me on your podcast. I know. That was such a fun time, too. It was so too. fun. We had a great and time. And I'm glad we could make the trade and Summer could meet you. I told I her know, so I'm much so about glad. you. And, 
And now you got um, to meet in person. Can you tell me, just before uh, we let you go, um, if there's any music that you're listening to right now that um, you could share yes. with us? Yeah. Uh, so I'm in a kind of a, a power pop. Uh, you know what? Every time I go back to power pop. And so right now I'm really <laughs> into uh, the... Um, this band called 2020 which is actually also very perfectly seasonal and uh-huh. right for the time it's called 2020 they're like a band that was any music that was created between the years of 1978 and 1981 i'm all about it so whether it's like um you know cheap trick on down so that's all sort of power pop for me um so yeah 2020 i've been listening to also a lot of brooke candy who i love no, she's no, a no rapper oh my god she's so good she is absolutely great brooke candy if you like hip-hop if you like peaches if you like Mm. music that is like so different it you would you you would really you have to listen to brooke Brooke candy so brooke candy uh big frida uh uh charlie x m you know xcm xcm she's so good they 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 are doing so many crazy things with sound, which I, I really am so excited about. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, music is in a really great time right now because we're consuming it in a way that um, it's never been easier right. yeah. to listen. And yeah. so um, I, I'm always on it. That's so cool. Thank yes. you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you again, Margaret Cho. Thank you. Really, really special to have you here. Thank we we you. lucked out. So I lucked out. Thank it. you. Maggie Cho. Thank yes. you, Summer, for showing up on a busy day. Like, you, your every day you have is it's busy. Just, it's very weird. Usually we have a whole rapport going on. I feel like sitting far away from you. Has, you don't want like, to be as mean to me. I you Yeah, so that's much. weird. It is. weird. I know today there's a lot of love I know you were it's because you were doing a lot of profession a lot of professional stuff at the beginning you were doing that like you know when you go pro right I go my brother was here and he could point out immediately he was like rain you're you're doing that pro thing you're like (laughs) and it's rain because we're not used to rain being so like even keeled and she all of a sudden had like a really hey everybody this is my radio voice and i'm mellow and Energy. and i'm older and i'm like responsible and it just yeah, doesn't feel not. like the real rain but yeah. i know because i'm the baby sister oh no she's not okay <laughs> I'm the okay um thank you so much thank you such a pleasure like i'm just like really really Inspiring really grateful now. to sit on a I'm couch so next to you thank you thank yeah. you Hashtag Schools Not Prisons is the leading brand at the intersection of art, culture, and activism. Since 2016, Hashtag Schools Not Prisons has reached millions of people and connected hundreds of artists with grassroots youth-serving organizations across the United States. Hashtag Schools Not Prisons supports campaigns that are creating a new vision of safety centered on health, healing, and investing in people. Hashtag Schools Not Prisons is produced and managed by Revolve Impact, an award-winning creative agency and content studio that utilizes radical imagination, art, and culture to communicate ideas, connect brands with causes, and advance social change. For more information, visit schoolsnotprisons.us. Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. Who 
Rosa Day.